Now, let's talk sports with Kanoa Leahy on ESPN Honolulu. What's up, everybody? Welcome, Monday edition of the program. Let's talk sports. Kanoa Leahy here in the Paxo Studios in Honolulu. And hey, look, yesterday was the Super Bowl. Today should be a national holiday. I'm wondering if all of America is collectively hungover today. I just kind of feel like that might be the case. But we are plugging through here, uh, and I got my man very fittingly uh, joining me as the guest co-host in the studio today. My resident football guru, Rich Miano, is in the house. What's up, Rich? How's it going? Yeah, well, it's that was one of the most uh, gutsiest performances I've ever seen, not just from a quarterback, but the most talented quarterback in the, in the first five years, the, the early part of his career. I mean, this guy is so talented, so gutsy, and to come back in that second half yeah. was just a phenomenal watch. Here's crazy. Here's what's crazy, though, is uh, I'm not sure which quarterback you're talking about because they yeah. were both really good, and you could make the argument that Jalen Hurts – was the better quarterback overall in that game yesterday, but Patrick Mahomes did the clutch thing, and Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy seemed to just be scheming the heck uh, out of uh, those goal line situations against that uh, very aggressive Philly D. We'll get into some of the particulars here in a moment, but I do want to set the scene because Rich Miano, with resident football guru, in the house. I get to work with him uh, in Spectrum Sports pay-per-view coverage of University of Hawaii football, uh, but just to, to paint the picture here, uh, you are wearing your <laughs> long sleeve Nike Philadelphia Eagles shirt. Uh, you are showing your pride for the team uh, that you were a part of for many years in your uh, over a decade long NFL career. You're watching that game. You see the Eagles take a 10 point lead into halftime 24 14. You are thinking at that moment, what based on how they were performing through the first two quarters yeah you know the time of possession right the ability to convert on third and fourth down Jalen Hurts showing not only the ability to use those legs and 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 be the x factor but making some incredible throws and then when Mahomes hurts his ankle again (laughs) you don't get to see him at the end of that second quarter when you look at again the time of possession the amount of plays the amount of dominance that Philadelphia you take away the Jalen Hurts fumble that turned into the touchdown and then Mahomes to Kelsey on that opening drive they weren't on the football field they weren't doing anything offensively and Philly was just doing everything running the ball throwing the ball playing good defense so it was a tale of two halves so going into halftime I'm like you can't count Mahomes out. They got, they're probably going to shoot this ankle up again with some cortisone if he comes out and he's healthy and they can actually get that running game going. And I, I tell you, an unsung hero who's a Hulable alumni in the last five or six weeks who led this game in rushing, Isaiah Pacheco. Oh, yes. Boy, that kid runs hard. That's Josh's cousin. Uh, he is uh, one of uh, my, favorite, bloodline, my favorite Portuguese in the, in the game of football. Um, no, I, that was the thing. So I think the narrative going in was um, Philadelphia was going to be the more smash mouth team, right? Whereas the Chiefs, at least offensively, they'll scheme you up. And they certainly did that in the second half. But early on, it looked like that 
narrative was absolutely playing out. Philadelphia was sticking to their game plan. They were throwing the ball a little bit more than maybe uh, what we anticipated, certainly on the first couple of drives, uh, but they were being physical. They were getting those third and short, fourth and short conversions. That was part of, that's been part of their DNA. Uh, but then you saw something change in the second half. And I think the thing that has stood out to me is Jalen Hurts got his on the ground, 15 carries, 70 yards, three touchdown rushes. Uh, but the other guys, they're the other two parts of the three-headed monster that is Jalen Hurts, Kenneth Gainwell, and Miles Sanders. Sanders, Sanders and Gainwell, uh, 21 yards on seven carries for Gainwell, 16 yards on seven carries for Sanders. This was a Kansas City defense that was able to neutralize those guys. How important was that in their ability to turn things around in the second half? I think it was huge. So when you look at the ability to stop the run other than Jalen Hurts, right? And you just, that's what you mentioned too. And then and the other X factor was the ability for that Kansas City offensive line to not give up a sack all game long, to be able to run the football so efficiently. You know, and I talked about Howie Rosen and building this team, the O-line, you and I talked about that, the D-line being so strong, too deep at every position, four guys that had uh, double-digit sacks. It really came down to the Kansas City offensive line not giving up a sack and being able to run the ball. And then defensively, as you just mentioned, the ability to stop Philadelphia, especially in that second half. The adjustments they made offensively and defensively at a prolongated halftime, Rihanna 30-minute halftime <laughs> show. That was amazing. They came out like a different team in the second yeah, half. Yeah, that, that was striking uh, because it, 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 it was a flipping of the script. That was, uh, you know, the old uh, adage, the tale of two halves. I mean, it absolutely did embody that. Um Let's talk a little bit about that because uh, you're a defensive-minded guy, right? So you're looking at that game very much through the lens of the coordination of a defense. Uh, so you see those two touchdowns um, on those uh, offensive drives for Kansas City in the second half uh, where you have basically a uh, wide-open Sky Moore on the second one, Kadarius Tony wide open on the other one. Um, very similar kinds of plays. What happened there how was kansas city able to use the aggressiveness and the tendencies of that philly defense against them in such huge situations yeah and i think they got that secret from doug peterson obviously he was on andy Reid's staff in philadelphia and the jaguars had played them prior to that in the season what they do defensively is they go in and out on the wide receiver you also have to predict analytically that they're going to be in man coverage because that doesn't work against zone coverage it only works against man coverage and it only works against if they're going in and out on the wide receiver. When I say in and out, when the motion goes across the formation, you can normally run with that and trill that thing because there's so much traffic in there. But when you get in the red zone, there's not only linebackers in there, there's safeties in there. Everybody's condensed the formation. So you can't beat the guy across, and then they'll just throw it in the flat, and it's wide open touchdown, and you may make that tackle, but they're going to pick up three or four yards. For Kansas City to do what they call that disco motion, where they come down and they act like they're running across, full speed and then they pivot and they go back to the flat it was just beautifully executed and if anyone wants to give Andy Reid credit as the greatest offensive mind in the history of this game you could 
put him right now up there with Bill Walsh. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because um, had they not won that game, I think there would have been a different kind of conversation. I mean, the, the margins in professional football are so slight. They are so – I mean, basically, you're talking about these two teams. If they were to play ten times, you're probably talking about ten three or fewer point margins of victory and maybe split down the middle 5-5, five, five, right? I mean, that's how even it seemed that these teams were. And so, yeah, the narrative around Andy Reid today, because he won his second Super Bowl, uh, because of the way they were able to get those guys wide open on those touchdown plays, uh, it is different. It is vastly different than what we would be saying about Andy Reid uh, had Philadelphia perhaps gotten the ball back for one last possession. Yeah, and, and I think the same thing about Patrick Mahomes, right? Because he's 1-2 and two in Super Bowls. Now he's 2-2. Two and two. Now he's the youngest quarterback at 28 years old to have two Super Bowls as well as the MVPs awards and all the other things he's accumulated thus far. So you're right. You know, you look at Devonta Smith's catch, non-catch, right before the half. Yeah. If they score a touchdown instead of kick a field goal there, that's a four-point difference changes maybe the outlook of the second half. So there's so many things that you mentioned that, and look at the Brady. The defense scored a touchdown for Kansas yeah. City. I mean, how big was that just to keep them afloat? But but look at Brady's three Super Bowl losses versus three of the wins. They, I mean, they, one play here or there could have turned yeah. all, that yeah. whole scenario around. So you're right. Football is a game of inches, and that's why the analytics, that's why the preparation, that's why the ex execution is so important and that's why you have so many analysts so many consultants so many people that go into the game planning of this great game yeah so it, it, that's exactly right uh, again the margins are are so slight um, and and the narratives, however, uh, those are impacted so incredibly, so profoundly based on the bounce of a ball here or the bounce of a ball there. Uh, but you're right. Uh, you know, it, it changes now how we talk about Patrick Mahomes now that he has two Super Bowls. Let's go back two years ago. What was the Achilles heel of the Kansas City Chiefs? It was the offensive line. They almost replaced all five guys in two years, and then they actually won the battle of the line of scrimmage. So, you know, I talk about Howie Rosen, the GM. The GM from the Kansas City Chiefs, along with, I'm sure, Andy Reid, to reconstruct that offensive line, to lose Tyreek Hill. And everybody talked about they're going to have to do it differently this year. They did it differently this year because they didn't have that big play strike ability. But Juju Smith came up big in the second half with six catches. You know, yeah, obviously Juju. Kelsey's, uh, you know, initial drive and the, hit the ability you have to double team him. And then that run from Mahomes, he's probably clocking four, eight, four, nine, but he's given, getting every bit of the ability to the escape ability, the ability to extend plays, the off-script plays, and Patrick Mahomes is just beautiful to watch. Yeah, there are some kind of general topics that I kind of want to get into with you, and, and one of that is obviously Patrick Mahomes. Like, what is the trajectory now, you think, for this guy? The fact that they actually had a better offensive season, if you look at the statistics, without Tyreek Hill than they did with him a season ago. Like, that's crazy. That's that's. I don't think anybody necessarily saw that coming or predicted that. I do want to get into that here shortly, but there was also a, a controversial call down the stretch of this one that could have impacted the outcome outcome uh, potentially because of the fact that Kansas City got a first down. Uh, it appeared as though Philadelphia had stopped them on third down. KC would have kicked the field goal. It would have still been 38-35, but Philadelphia would have had some time to drive the field and see if they could muster a game-tying field goal, send it to overtime, or get uh, perhaps an historic game-winning touchdown drive. So there, there was at least a little bit of that time available, but 
James Bradbury gets called for defensive holding. You're a former defensive back in the NFL. You're watching that call, watching the replays. Was that a hold? Should that have been called? It was a hold, but it shouldn't have been called. So you have to explain that, right? And, you know, when I get upset with the NFL, which is often, and it's like, (laughs) then I look at my beautiful home and my investments and my pension and everything else and everything I've kind of have has derived from this great game of football. But it could be so much better with that extra official on the field. With the ability, especially in playoffs, in Super Bowl games, in the last two minutes to review every call and to really see if they felt that was a hold. And then for that to be the only holding call in 76 offensive plays, the only pass interference call in 76 offensive plays, and then when you think about where is that extra referee? Why isn't the ability to go to New York? Why can't they get this right? And then Prior to this, it's Roger Goodell who drives me crazy saying this might have been the best officiated year ever, which Uh. just went off on social media because there are so many bad calls down the run. And why do you have an all-star official cast when you have crews that work together all year long, know how to communicate, know how to work things, know the protocols and all those other things? And trust me. Is officiating hard? It's really hard. And I have so many friends that are officials, and I think they do a phenomenal job, but it could be better and should be better. And we're not even talking about the sod on the field (laughs) right now because that's another NFL mistake. But you're right. I mean, it's probably the hardest version of the hardest sport to officiate, right? I mean, it's the, the at the professional level of football. It's such a difficult sport to officiate generally, but at that level, with that speed, the size of these guys, their athletic ability, I mean, things happen in a nanosecond. And so I get that. I understand that. And there are some guardrails put in place uh, through replay and, and other protocol uh, that assist these officials. But at the end of the day, a call like that, it's on the official if he wants to call it, if he wants to throw the flag, or if he does not want to pull the flag out of his pocket. So what, when you're talking about that was a hold, okay, um, when you're saying that shouldn't have been called, is that because that's something that could have been called, like, over a dozen times earlier throughout that game? Is, yeah. is that why? It's, or is there, do you... Do you subscribe to that that idea that there is an almost unwritten expectation on the part of the officials, unless it's something that is truly egregious, if it's Manini, so to speak, you got to let it go if you're in the, the home stretch or last two minutes of a game. That and as a defensive back coach, right, you, you try to feel out the officials. And trust me when I tell you, they analyze every official as well prior to the, the game in terms of how they, do they call pass interference, how do they call holding. All of these things are analytics, right, that they go through uh, hours and hours of studying these guys. Again, how, is this official calling it the same way from the first quarter to the fourth quarter. Why was it not called? Because if you go back on the 76 pass plays, you're going to see much more egregious, much more malicious, mm-hmm. holding, uh, pass interference that were not called. So therefore, can you call it? Yes, but you can also call holding almost every snap offensively. And therefore, in the last two minutes of the game, you almost got to let these guys play. Yeah, 808-296-1420 is the number. I think what was the unfortunate part of it was the fact that it did cost us just seeing Philly have that one last possession. Maybe it wouldn't have changed the outcome of the game, but I just didn't feel like that call was, again, using that word, egregious enough to justify calling it in that huge spot. Uh, 
I, I'm not necessarily one who subscribes to the idea of like, oh, you just, uh, you know, you, you choke on the whistle in the last two minutes of a basketball game or of a football game. Like, I don't necessarily buy into that. I mean, rules are rules. They're in place. I think they should be followed throughout the entirety of an athletic competition. But there are degrees of violations. I think that that's clear. And so if they were calling that throughout the game and then they called it again in the last two minutes, hey, do you. So More power to you. Great job of consistency. But the fact that they didn't and chose that time to finally throw a flag and and call that defensive holding penalty, that's where I just have a little bit of a hard time uh, digesting it. We have Sam calling in. Sam is on the line. Sam, how you doing? Good. How's it, guys, bro? Always enjoy listening to you guys. Appreciate hey, it. Thank you. Big time. Yeah, I say I was just going to echo what you just said, man. I mean, it's the fact that consistency with the refs and the fact that they, that they didn't call anything prior to that call was crazy to me. And that's probably everyone's great today, you know, for sure. Yeah. I mean, so, so do you buy into that idea of, you know, if it's the last two minutes, generally, you, you know, the refs should let more stuff go? Or is it just because of the consistency that you're talking about? I think consistency. And I think just the... The, the game it was, you know, Super Bowl, like you said, that basically call gave Kansas City the win. I mean, they ran the clock out. We all saw what happened. So, you know, as a fan, I definitely wanted to see overtime for sure. And I think Hertz had one more solid series in him. Um, but regardless, man, great game. Great game for sure. It was a great game. And I think that's also maybe part of it, right, is I think everybody collectively watching that uh, objectively thought that that was a fantastic football game between two really good teams who seemed to be so even with one another. Um but I think that just left a little bit of an anticlimactic vibe and, and, and distaste at the end of it. It just it took away from us what could have been something phenomenal to end the game, whether it went the Eagles' way or if the Chiefs held on. No, no question about it. Even like Chris Stapleton, Babyface, you know, the halftime show, the celebrities that were in the crowd, the game itself, the tale of two halves. If it only would have went to overtime or if it only would have given Jalen Hurts the chance to go down the field, that would have been maybe one of the greatest games ever and uh, what a spectacle it was. So much more to get into here. Where did you watch it? Where did you take this I watched this it in? at the house and I kind of do this every year so I did a little Fox 990 pregame show, whatever else. But I don't like to be around f football fans who just watch Super Bowls and are having a party and getting all drunk and I'm not against that. I, I think everybody should party, everybody should get drunk and everybody should have a holiday on Monday so yes. don't get me wrong. But I like to like analyze the game and kind of like be able to come into the Kanoa Leahy show and have a little <laughs> bit of semblance of uh, knowledge. No, that's good. You do. You you came in with a certain energy about you that I don't know if I, I can match. I got my notepad. I got my <laughs> yeah. iPad. Yeah, this is as prepared as you've ever been for this. And I really appreciate it because, again, I don't know if I can match the energy that you're bringing because I did not uh, necessarily uh, do the same kind of execution watching this game uh, as you did. By the way, we want to uh, remind everybody, we've mentioned Patrick Mahomes, and I do want to ask you where his trajectory is going you think for his career still just 27 years of age uh, now two-time Super Bowl champion gets the MVP honor yesterday uh, he is going to be featured in the next hour of radio right here on Canty and Carlin it's going to be about 20 minutes after the hour is that right 120 so uh, yeah stay tuned for that by the way just a reminder Patrick Mahomes uh, is going to be on Canty and Carlin when we switch back over to the uh, national programming at the end of this show but I got my own 
NFL celebrity in the house. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It is uh, the football guru around here, uh, Rich Miano. By the way, uh, where I did maintain a certain consistency with how I absorbed this game, you know what I was grinding on, right? Domino's Pizza, <laughs> oh, baby. God. That's right. Domino's Hawaii, a supporter of this program. Let's Huge. talk sports. You can save 20% off on most or all menu-priced items if you order Online. Is that so, the biggest uh, pizza day out. of the year? Super Bowl. I it's got to it be, right? It's right up it's like, there. It, it, it's like the National Pizza Day uh, of the year, and it should be followed by a <laughs> national holiday that is Super Bowl Recovery Monday for all of us who, um, you know, unlike Rich, um, <laughs> we were partaking in a little bit more of the uh, festive aspect of Super Bowl consumption. Consumption being the key word. All right, yes. we're going to take a break. Rich Miano is with us. We'll get into more on the Super Bowl when we come back. What's up? Welcome back. Let's talk sports. Kanoa Leahy here in the Paxa Studios in Honolulu being joined by my man, resident football guru Rich Miano. Uh, he is still mourning the loss of his former squad, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. He's rocking the Eagles shirt in here on a very chilly and rainy day outside. You get the long sleeve on, but you're showing your Philadelphia Eagles pride. Uh, they had you as one of the uh, uh, hierarchy of defensive backs, and they, they posted on social media you were like in the third row man that was kind of a big one dude yeah i was ahead of some guys that i uh, was kind of a little surprised but uh no the ten the tenure in philadelphia was amazing you know to be able to play with reggie white and jerome brown and clyde simmons and randall cunningham jim mcmahon and mark bavaro and all these herschel walker all these legends it was something that you know as much as i enjoyed the jets for six years with that crew the eagles were kind of the pinnacle of my NFL career. 808-296-1420 is the number. Let's talk about the QBs. So Patrick Mahomes gets Super Bowl MVP. He gets Super Bowl number two. What are we talking about here? Uh, Andy Reid did uh, insinuate after the game that he's intending on continuing to coach. That was a question going into the game. Uh, and so that tandem will remain together. Uh, I think Andy Reid was very much riding for his OC, Eric Bieniemy, trying to get this guy a head coaching job. I mean, he was giving him so much credit about, you know, doing the play calling down the stretch and, and really was the key to our comeback and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, so it's, it, it'll remain to be seen if Eric Bieniemy is still in the mix. But how many Super Bowls are we talking about for Patrick Mahomes, you think, when it's all said and done? Yeah, and you know, the reason he why... He only needs five more to catch Brady. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then ten total appearances, you know. So, you know, when you think about Patrick Mahomes, you got to say that he may be the greatest deliverer of the football in terms of arm angles, extension of plays, understanding coverages, making all the throws, you know. And, and then when you realize, and the reason why I didn't mourn as hard as I normally would is Patrick Mahomes and Tua have the same agent. They have the same foundation people. They have our people out of Las Vegas that we work so closely with. So when you start to realize the character of Patrick Mahomes, mm -hmm. he has his Big Island golf tournament every year where Kelsey comes, and you start to recognize what great people they are and what great ambassadors of the game they are. You almost want this guy to be successful even when he's going against your former team. So to me, Andy Reid, the recognition of some of these guys, Chris Jones, you know, some of these other players on this team, Juju Smith-Schuster, I've worked 
clinics with him and camps with him and representing Polynesia. When you look at both of these teams, they were well represented in Polynesia in terms. Of, I think there was four on each team. Uh, yeah, I think eight, eight total, total right? players. Yeah. So, so it was a it was a wonderful victory. But to answer your question, Brady's the greatest ever, the goat, right? Jerry Rice is the greatest ever. Bruce Lee's the greatest ever. Jimi Hendrix is the greatest ever. But Mahomes has the ability to get there someday. But so many things would have to yeah. line up for that to happen. But trust me when I tell you, when you just look at pure delivery of the I'm football, saying. he's the greatest ever. That, that's what I'm saying, yes. I, I, from, a, from a resume-building standpoint, there certainly is much more work to, to do to done. catch Brady, right? But I've never seen a better quarterback than that. And nobody's had this start in the first five years. Nobody's 27 years old with the amount of MVPs, Super Bowls, you know, all the accolades that this young man has. And with a 17-game season, with the rules the way they are now, you could be talking about LeBron James in terms of the most yards, the most completions, the most touchdowns. Kelsey's going to break all the tight end records. And you know what? If they can keep this group together, and it seems like you don't need to have every piece. Tyreek left last year. They rebuilt the offensive line. When you have a great organization, and you have that great quarterback who wants to be the greatest ever. What a start. Yeah, and, and just what that def- defensive line uh, uh, did yesterday, I thought, particularly in the second half, was, was it was incredible. It changed uh, the entire complexion of that game and really changed how they are defined as a unit. I mean, that was, you know, that 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 was a uh, offensive line as well. That was an offensive line that had been, you know, known to give up quarterback pressures and they were so good at not doing that against that Philadelphia D-line in the second half and I think that 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 Kansas Hassan City defensive Riddick line was not even a Correct. factor. Correct. You know, you look at Fletcher Cox, you look at all of these great players on the defensive line, you didn't hear their name called. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, amazing stuff. I, I think one of their players said it was like, you know, uh, historic. And maybe that's a little strong, but I think just based on what people were saying about them, uh, I did think that they they definitely flipped the script. I didn't necessarily agree with Travis Kelsey saying, nobody believed in us. Yeah, we we yeah, absolutely little... came out of Travis nowhere. Travis Kelsey's working on being The Rock. He's going to <laughs> WWE. Yeah, his yeah, podcast yeah. is blowing up. Yeah. That dude, how about his outfit coming into the game versus his brother who had on the gym yeah. shorts in the high school t-shirt and then Kelsey walks in as a fashionista and it's just are they from the same mom and dad? Is well, that the same DNA? Were they adopted? I mean, nobody was uh, rocking a better outfit than mom Mrs. because Kelsey, she had yeah. like right cut the right down too, the middle, the right? Like the half Chiefs, half Eagles jersey, the half Chiefs, half Eagles jacket. Even the shoes, the shoes. were each team's color on either foot. Like she still should have flipped the coin in the NFL. Messed up on that one. Too. Yeah, she represented that one. That absolutely should have <laughs> happened. You're right. Uh, so yeah, Patrick Mahomes. Getting back to him, uh, the best quarterback that I've ever seen, um, and he will be interviewed on Canty and Carlin in the next hour so stay tuned for that this is going to be at about 120 uh, right here on ESPN Honolulu but he might not have been the best quarterback in that game yesterday where are we now you think with Jalen Hurts because this guy's 24 this guy was benched for Tua and ultimately had to transfer out to continue his college career elsewhere this guy has always kind of been looked upon as hey he's got some gifts he certainly has mobility but I don't know if he can be the guy to throw the ball I don't know if he can be a franchise quarterback and here he is 
all of his teammates laud him for his style of leadership, how he composed himself in front of the media after the loss last night was just brilliant. He was so good, so genuine, so believable. Like, this guy is a star. And that performance yesterday was maybe his greatest yet, and he is just 24 years old. Where are we with Jalen Hurts? Yeah, and you mentioned the road, right? The trajectory, the adversity, the resiliency. Those are all cliches, but that's something this young man has dealt with, right? You look at the completion percentage in the 50s, then it was in the 60s, third year now, somewhere in 65, 66, he was 71 or 72% for the game. When you start looking at those numbers, right, and you remember last week's show, somebody called me in and said, what if you put Jalen Hurts on the Jets? Would he still be in the same conversation for MVP? And, you know, I try to defend him because he's the hardest working guy in the room, because he wants to be so good so badly, and the trajectory throws have gotten better. So when you start thinking about Jalen Hurts right now, you have to, the quantum leap has been established because big players play well in, in big games, right? So you got to go Mahomes, then if whether it's Josh Allen, Joe Burrows, uh, Justin Herbert, and uh, Trevor Lawrence really kind of came up as well, maybe in the top five. You got to put him in six, seven, with the trajectory to continue to rise. Like, like can win an MVP kind of thing. Which, like in that's- the second place this year, I thought was a little stretch, but he proved to everybody that he's a great quarterback. And yeah, a lot of it is the, the, the schematics behind it. They're using his talents and his skill set to their advantage, and that's what you're supposed to do, right? And that sort of leads me to another question, uh, because Philadelphia's facing a situation where they have this really good thing going. Uh, you, you would, it would be an interesting debate to see hey if you had to put stock into one of these two teams that just played in that game yesterday which one would you put stock into and I think that that's a really good question the Eagles have something going but they're on the verge of possibly losing both their coordinators and I started thinking about this right um when you construct a a business or an organization right and each of these teams basically is its own organization within the greater organization that is the NFL um but they value certain pieces like Patrick Mahomes making for 500 million dollars right and he's, he's making Jalen a lot Hurts more money six million yeah making a lot <laughs> more money than any coach or anybody that's in the front office like this because he's of value I've always wondered, you have the structure, right? Very kind of old school militaristic of like you have the head coach and then you have all the sergeants and then you have all the people that sort of go down the the power pyramid, so to speak, in that way. But why can't you, even if not in title, why can't you, if you have something good like this and you think that your offensive coordinator has been able to get the most out of this quarterback and the combination of players as well as play callers and, and architectures of, or architects of the offense, that combination is uh, proving to be Super Bowl worthy. Why can't you pay that offensive coordinator or defense coordinator, I'm just talking kind of generally speaking, why can't you just pay them a mad amount of money? Why is it always that systematically when those guys do well, they get head coaching jobs elsewhere, they leave, they leave that vacancy. Why can't you treat members of the coaching staff like how you would treat a star player and be like, yeah, you know what? We have a head coach. This structure works for us, but you are good at what you do. We believe you are the best one for this job within this franchise and organization, and so we're going to pay you like a head coach 
but you're going to be our coordinator. Why can't that happen more often? And, and it should happen, right? And it's capable of happening. You can go back to college and think about Debo Sweeney at Clemson for years. Nobody ever left because he would take extra millions of dollars that were offered to him and give them to his nine assistant coaches. Finally, Brett Venables left because eventually you want to be a head coach no matter what the compensation is. You want to run, prove to people you can run the whole organization. So you can, and for years, nobody knew what Bill Belichick made. Was he the general manager. He doesn't give titles to Matt Patricia as the offensive coordinator. But you're right. If you want success, you want continuity. And people are worried about, you know, DeMarco, or how, how do you say his name? Ryan's leaving yeah, uh, yeah. San, San Francisco, Francisco 49ers. D'Amico now in D'Amico Ryan's. And in comes Steve Wilkes or whatever else. And sure, they're going to pay him a lot of money, but is there going to be that same continuity? But you want to keep those coordinators. You want to keep your position coaches. It's just that guys have dreams to become head coaches, so sometimes that's not attainable. But there's nothing in the NFL that says you can't pay a coordinator more than the head coach is making. That's right. And, and you know, I think there is a lot of ego in this business, obviously, and there's a lot of, um, you know, uh, uh, toxic masculinity even, and I think sometimes that's connected to how much money do you make? How big is your paycheck compared to my paycheck? Who's the guy that has the head coach label on his business card or on his desk? Um, that, that, that stuff does matter, but you see in more uh, modern organizations, uh, tech companies, where the structure is different now. Like there, there's a lot more innovation in how they put these business structures together. And so, you know, if you have somebody on a staff that is of value, even if it's in that particular role, that doesn't guarantee that they can be a head coach. A, B. If you feel like that's the combination that works, I just, I, I'm not sure why that isn't executed more. You're right. In corporate America, right, if you're a great salesperson, you might be able to make more than the general manager. And when you look at, like, if you're at the University of Hawaii and you land Isaac Sapawanga or you land Colt Brennan, there should be a bonus for that, whether it's initially or when huh. you prove these people's worth, whatever else. Because recruiting you know, coaching, and you're right about the National Football League. In college football, the coaches probably make way too much money on the scale of what the players are making, although now the NIL is a little different. <laughs> That's starting to but change. when you start looking at professional football, what is Andy Reid's value? What is Bill Belichick's value? It's got to be that of the quarterback who's going to be around 5, 10, 15 mm -hmm. years. These guys are shaping an organization. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, all right. It's ESPN Honolulu's Valentine's giveaway presented by Hawaii Dent service. We're giving away a prize every day until Valentine's Day, and today we're giving away a two-night staycation at Ohia Waikiki. Visit our Instagram at ESPN Honolulu to enter to win. Still want to talk about that field. What was up with that? We'll do that with Rich Miano on the other side of this break. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Let's talk sports. Kanoa Leahy here in the PAXA studios in Honolulu being joined by our resident football guru, my partner for UH television coverage of the game of football. Rich Miano is in the house, and um, we got our best and worst coming up in the next segment. There are a few things that I'm sure we'll get to uh, there regarding the game yesterday. Uh, but we've just kind of been spending most of the show here on the Super Bowl. It was <laughs> it was a fantastic game. I think uh, sullied a little bit by that defensive holding call. Kind of turned it into a bit more of an anticlimactic close, uh, all but guaranteeing that uh, the Kansas City Chiefs were uh, going to win the Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes 
Mahomes and Andy Reid each get their second Super Bowl title. Um, we talked about the defense. The defensive touchdown for Casey, the fumble recovery in return for a TD was was huge. Uh, when when they needed it and the offense wasn't exactly clicking like it was in the second half. Uh, they also got strong special teams uh, performance last night. Um, where did they win the game, you think? Well, they won the game, we mentioned, on the offensive line and the defensive line, stopping the run. But they also won the game on special teams. And Sean Payton in the pregame, you know, the, the new head coach of the Denver Broncos said, I'm not sure about this Philadelphia Eagles, uh, excuse me, this Kansas Philadelphia Eagles special teams. <laughs> and sure enough, this guy who I've never heard of hasn't punted in the last three or four games, only had to punt two times yesterday, which shows you how efficient the Eagles offense was. The second punt, and I, you know, you and I do so many football games and people ooh and ah when a punter punts the ball in the end zone when it should be down on the 10. That's a huge differential, starting on the 10 versus starting on the 20 uh, in terms of play calling. Well, this ball particularly, this is the NFL, had no hang time, had no lift to it, and got the ability for that returner to go north and south and then go east and west in the longest punt return in Super Bowl history, put the ball somewhere inside the 10-yard line, which resulted in that momentum uh, leading touchdown was so instrumental. And again, special teams is not one-third of the game, but big plays can happen on every special team. All right, let's get to some very important questions. I think uh, <laughs> questions that a lot of people out there uh, have been waiting patiently for us to ask, or, or at least of, for, for me to ask of you first and foremost. Uh, Rihanna, thumbs up or thumbs down? <laughs> I'm going with uh, the thumbs up. I, I, I do. I was like, I was trying to figure out how she was tethered to that platform that was so high yeah. above the stadium, and then I figured it out right because I do. You know, I've seen and a lot of magic high. shows, and she's up high. It was through the jacket that she had was tethered on on the ground because. That would be a, a OSHA uh, safety hazard beyond <laughs> yeah, belief. Yeah, and you're yeah. talking about a billionaire. When I tell my friend she's a billionaire, they're like, no, she's not. I go, $1.4 billion. This woman is her own conglomeration, and, but she's talented. Yeah, that's uh, like the, the songs were like really good. The yeah, dancing was good. Like, that's like the Jay Z line, right? Is uh, I, I'm, a bi I'm not a businessman, I'm a business. Man, she's not a businesswoman. She's a business Unbelievable. woman. No, she's um, she was great. And yeah, you know, I, I guess you kind of, you know, in this weird kind of rivalry that a lot of people have projected between like Beyonce and Rihanna. It's like, you know, it's kind of, you always go back and forth. Beyonce might have at least some extra star power, perhaps, or recognizability. She's got Jay-Z, too. She's got Jay-Z in that <laughs> factor. But uh, dude, Rihanna got some bangers, oh man. She was going God. through the catalog, and I was like, okay, Rihanna, hey, she's I got was some good stuff going. I was grooving. The game, like, I know I know some of her songs, but for like 18 minutes of a collection of songs, I'm like going like, no wonder. And she hasn't cut an album in six years. It's through makeup and it's through lifestyle yeah. that the, this billion-dollar business has been created. But make no mistake about it, that lady can sing and she can dance and she was up high. Yeah, no, I, th I know. That's unbelievable. I don't think I could have uh, stood up there <laughs> And I don't have to worry about being up high. Like that was crazy that she was able to do that and, and still perform in the way. But that I got she a did. question for you since you right. want to go off topic. Okay, here we go. And, and without any warning, <laughs> Greg Olson as the analyst. I was just about to get to that. That's interesting. See, we I read think each other's minds. I think Greg Olson had a moment last night, man. I thought he was 
fantastic in that I'm game. I'm with you. And the big debate was Romo didn't do his homework and Romo's regressed. And I've always been on that kind of Romo regression chain. I think Greg Olson's analyzation or analyzing this game, and, and well, I thought he was spot on, bro. I thought he was very impressive. Yeah, like down the stretch. I mean, even just calling for the runner to like go down and not score. And like he just was on it. He yes. had. I've always kind of wondered, as just a guy who watches, uh, you know, some of these these uh, A, B, C teams that are on these big networks, you know, oftentimes it's like, oh, is uh, will these guys, if you're put on the Super Bowl stage and it's a dramatic game, are they going to have like the energy to be able to match the moment? And I think like Greg Olson, uh, that that maybe was something that watching him in, in the past was like, oh, I don't know if he necessarily always brings the energy or, you know, maybe doesn't quite have the, the comfort level to really just let it go. Uh, and that came so easily for Tony Romo, part of why he just shot up the charts. But he had it last night. He was so good. Yeah, and you talk about Aikman making, I don't know, $29 million. You talk about Romo making like $28 million. You talk about the new guy, Brady's going to make like $37 million a year, and he's going to take a year off because he wants to be good at this. I'll bet you they got that Greg Olson for a bargain. He's ascended because of all these streaming services and yeah. everything else to the number one role, and I thought he hit it out of the park. Yeah, no, I think uh, th th that was some of the reaction on social media. People were like, put Brady in the studio, keep Greg Olson there. I think he kind of like put his stamp uh, on it and was the A-team now with Kevin Burkhart, uh, obviously because Aikman uh, and Joe Buck left for ESPN. But Kevin Burkhart, who is one of my favorite play-by-play -play guys, too, he's got a great voice. And yeah, those guys, uh, they did they their thing, man. They did. they did their thing last night. Uh, hopefully Leahy and Miano can one day uh, <laughs> aspire to also uh, impress on that way. We're trying to change the decimal point as well. <laughs> uh, all right, real quick before we take a break, your favorite Super Bowl ad, favorite Super Bowl ooh, commercial. Ooh, this is going to be a little biased. I'm going with the Ben Affleck, oh, Milton, ben Massachusetts, Dunkin' yeah. Donuts. And, and if you're not from the East Coast, you might not be able to relate to this, but the Jennifer Lopez pulling up to the window and that he loves Dunkin' Donuts and he's always on social media eating Dunkin' Donuts. And this was a natural. I thought that was awesome. And he was kind of doing like, you know, the Boston accent yeah, and all that stuff. It, that that was also my favorite. I think I would go uh, honorable mention or at least second place uh, to the uh, Mr. Planner's uh, roast. That one was, uh, I thought, pretty cool. Or Mr. Peanut is is what his official name. The Planner's Peanut Guy. If roast. I got to go with a silver medal or an honorable mention, I might have to go with the Doritos Breaking Bad. You know, I oh that was good. Breaking the popcorn was, was popcorn. You got to get the brand right. Ooh, it was pop. Popcorn yeah, was, no, uh, was, was the chip. Was it popcorn? Or yeah. Wasn't it? okay. It wasn't but, <laughs> but the actors <laughs> themselves. Know, that means it wasn't that effective of an white, ad. <laughs> and, and, and and the the cartel. I mean, that was spot no, on. No, that was bro. really good. That was really good. Yeah, you know, I think that would be my trifecta right there. Those would be uh, those would be my top three. We're on the same page here. Uh, that doesn't it's necessarily amazing. make for great radio, but it makes for a great friendship. All right, we'll take a break. Uh, and Should when, be Shannon Sharp and uh, <laughs> Skip Bayless next time. And then, uh, yeah, and then when we come back, uh, we'll get into our best and worst, but I uh, wanted to remind everybody that uh, Disney Junior Live on Tour is coming March 18th and 19th at the Blaisdell Concert Hall. All your kids' favorite Disney friends will be there along with Marvel's Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Tickets are on sale now at Ticketmaster.com. Best and worst when we come back.
What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Let's talk sports. Kanoa Leahy, Rich Miano here in the house. Uh, we are going to end the show as we like to always do uh, with our best and worst. So we'll start with our worst and try to see if we can end on a happier note uh, here for this episode. What's your uh, What's your worst there, Rich? You know, and I mentioned uh, my disdain for the National Football League, and it's like <laughs> almost like too big to feel, right? So when I talk about too big to feel, I'm like, they spent $800,000 two years to develop this first iteration of turf in the grass everyone was slipping everywhere people had to change their cleats everything else you can't go on it the day before the game and fail it out whatever else to me the nfl although we want to evolve to grass and less concussions and all that stuff we've got to have a better field to play the super bowl on yeah, no, I agree. It's like a Philadelphia Eagles thing, right? It's like first it was Veterans Stadium, and, and now even in a Super Bowl, they tried to do this hybrid grass thing, uh, and they had weeks upon weeks to make this thing right, and you just saw players slipping all over the place. Like, what what, what gives, man, aside from the turf? <laughs> I like that. All right, um, my, my worst is uh, Terry Bradshaw. After the game, he was doing, like, the podium interviews and uh, his body shaming of Andy Reid. Did you see this? Terry Bradshaw was like, yeah, all right, let's bring the the big guy over is bring the big guy hey come waddle over here he's telling that to andy <laughs> reed and then afterwards like hey uh you know uh, have a cheeseburger on us at the end because you know i guess andy reed uh, andy reed is a uh, documented lover of cheeseburgers but that says like <laughs> terry Pratchett, like what are you doing a, a guy who has admitted to be very sensitive when people question his intellect and he's just gonna he's go over CT. there and like throw darts <laughs> yeah there might be something to that i think they could get somebody else to do those interviews after the game all right that's uh, my worst all right do you have a best? I'm just going to go with the culmination of this entirety of this football season, ending up with 59, 58 and a half minutes of a great football game, only kind of disturbed by one call that should have been called. But <laughs> in overall, I've watched a lot of NFL football this year and I would argue that they're heading in a real positive direction. Yeah, I, I think that that's... Uh... That's like also a worst, right, is the fact that that's the last football game we'll have at least from yeah, the true. NFL for a while, from college for a while. But you know who's stepping on the field soon. XFL, the USFL. XFL, US, yeah, all of that all stuff. Of so we're still going to have football. It's, it's, it's going to turn into a year-round thing. Yeah, no, I, 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 I think that that's uh, appropriate for sure. Uh, all right, uh, my best. This is just kind of cool. Um, Diedrich Taylor, uh, head coach for the Cal State Fullerton men's basketball team. Uh, they played Hawaii on Saturday. It was a heck of a game, emotional game. It was a little bit chippy and heated, uh, and Fullerton held on to win by a point. Uh, and so it was madness down the stretch. Hawaii had a couple of opportunities uh, but couldn't convert, and so Fullerton hung on. The, you know, the cheerleaders and the dancers run out onto the court. It's kind of chaos, and he maneuvers after shaking hands across the court toward Artie and me and he's bringing his he's carrying his whiteboard um, and so he stands in front of us and he starts writing something on the board and like we're on the air we're talking you know we're tossing it to Scott Robs for the Iran Ganat post game interview and all that kind of stuff and then he uh, he writes something on the board turns it around and it says sorry for your loss and so he was talking about, you know, the passing of, of my dad. And it was just a really, really cool thing for him in that moment after a heated battle to, like, think immediately to walk across the court and, and express that, uh, that, that level of, of sentiment was, was really great. Here's the problem is I'm also Portuguese. <laughs> and so when he first did it, I thought he was talking trash because I thought he was talking about, like, apologizing. Oh, yeah, like, hey, sorry that. for your team's loss, but we came in and did our thing. And I was like, why are you talking trash to us? Like, we're cool with you, coach. I got to understand. 
understand and then it finally clicked so i think my first initial reaction because we're on the air i kind of like laughed and smiled and then it kind of hit me like oh 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 that that loss and then it really kind of uh, warmed wow. my heart yeah. but, but it goes to show you jim's not only a hawaii legend but also nationally people especially this demographics Gotta have loved your dad and, yeah, and, uh, yeah. more in the past. Yeah, I just I, I wish my dad didn't have such a, a Portuguese son sometimes <laughs> <laughs> in those situations. Thanks to Richie Rich, Rich Miano for being here. Thanks, Josh. Uh, see you tomorrow, everybody.